Mission Mobilization Chats with Ryan Shaw, Multiplying Mission Mobilization Movements. This podcast is powered by Global Mission Mobilization Initiative. Subscribe, watch, and listen on YouTube today. Find more exciting resources, teachings, and tools for mission mobilization on globalmmi.net. All right, welcome to episode number 28 of our Mission Mobilization Chats podcast, where in each episode we look at a different topic related to this bigger picture concept of comprehensive mission mobilization, looking at mobilization in a little bit broader of a way than we traditionally uh, have. And so in this episode, I want to share an encounter that I had with God uh, during the summer of 2001. The summer of 2001, that's a long time ago, that's almost 22 years ago. And so that summer I had just graduated from Fuller Theological Seminary uh, in California with a master's degree in intercultural studies. And so I was beginning to, or not beginning, but I was strongly seeking God about my next steps in ministry and missions in particular. And so those two months, that summer of 2001, uh, were some of the most concentrated uh, times in my entire life where God has spoken in very profound ways in a, in a consistent basis, I can say. So kind of a concentrated time of God's leading and his guidance, uh, more so than really at any other time uh, in my life and in my ministry. And so in those two months, it was almost as if foundations were being laid in that one summer, in that short two-month window that would prove very, very significant, actually, for the future of what God was leading me uh, into. And so at the end of that summer, in early September of 2001, I was on a ministry trip in Korea, South Korea, and then uh, in Vietnam uh, as well. And oftentimes the Lord will speak very, very profoundly to me while I'm traveling, while I'm on uh, some of these ministry trips. And so in the Seoul airport in Seoul, South Korea, I was spending some time one uh, day waiting for a flight uh, and I was reading the Bible. I was spending time uh, in the word and I was in the book of Deuteronomy and Deuteronomy chapter 10 verse 14 stuck out to me and it came to my heart, it came to my mind with tremendous authority. You know, you have those times when you're kind of a re- reading a passage through in your devotional uh, time and one particular verse or maybe even just a part of a verse, a sentence just stands out to you and it, it strikes, it touches, it, it penetrates your heart with authority. Well, that's what was happening. And I felt in this time that it was actually written very personally for me. Yes, we're going to, I'll read it in a moment. Uh, God's talking to Moses, but uh, the Lord, the Holy Spirit applied it directly uh, to me for that particular hour and for the mobilization work that he was step by step guiding me uh, into. So Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 14, it says this, Then the Lord said to me, so this is Moses talking, right, in in the book of Deuteronomy. Then the Lord uh, said to me, arise and begin your journey before the people, that they may go up 
and possess the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. So the Lord spoke to me. Uh, this is Moses talking. Arise, begin your journey before the people, that they may go up and possess the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. So this was, yes, it was a word to Moses, but in that moment, the Holy Spirit applied it directly into my life, uh, and it was a great encouragement uh, to me. And so I sensed from the Lord at that time, at that moment, the end of, uh, of the summer of 2001, early September uh, of that year, 2001, that I was to launch out Arise, uh, the Lord said, begin your journey uh, to Moses that I was also meant to launch out in the ministry journey that the Lord had set before me and that this ministry journey would somehow in some way, like it did for Moses, have something to do with helping the people of God to go up and possess the land that God was calling them to take. Now, obviously, uh, I did feel that this was a word to me, but not necessarily to me alone, but instead that this would be something that God was doing across millions, calling millions of leaders, Moseses, in our day and in our hour, in terms of the time of history that, that we live, uh, to really go up and possess and call the people of God. That's mobilization. Call the people of God to arise to the will of God uh, that he has set before them. But what exactly did this mean? Arise, begin your journey uh, to go up and, and to call the people of God to possess the land. What exactly could this have possibly uh, meant? Well, as soon as this verse kind of penetrated my heart in September of 2001, my mind was taken back to the previous two uh, months June and July uh, of 2001. So in those two months, in June and July, I had gone on a road trip with a co uh, close friend of mine. I was not married yet. I was still single. And so I was on a road trip uh, in Northern California and in Oregon. And it was on that trip that I would call a very significant trip in terms of uh, God's divine purpose and, and his will for my life. Uh, the Lord had me reading and meditating on the book of Numbers. Okay, so that word in the airport at, uh, of Seoul, Korea was Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 14. But in June uh, or July and August of that same year, 2001, while on this road trip, the Lord had me studying and really looking in depth at the book of Numbers. And so in this important book, the book of Numbers, God is actually teaching his newly formed nation, the children of Israel, who had just come out of bondage in Egypt uh, in the book of Exodus, then in the book of Leviticus, God uh, gives uh, his order of worship, how he wants his people to operate around the tabernacle and all the laws related to that. The entire book of Leviticus is focused on worship, okay? Focused on our call uh, to worship in very specific ways and to approach the throne of God through blood sacrifice and all those things uh, that he highlights in the book of uh, Leviticus. And so in the book of Numbers now, he's got this people that are prepared, right? Prepared for what? To go into the land. That's the whole purpose of the book uh, of Numbers, However, we're going to find that they failed quite, quite considerably, and we'll look at that uh, uh, in a moment. So the book of Numbers is also about 
the call to really obey with wholehearted obedience. The call to obey Jesus, God, Yahweh, Jehovah, uh, in the Old Covenant with our wholehearted devotion and wholehearted obedience. And uh, what the books of Moses really teach us is that when his people, when the people of God voluntarily choose obedience out of our love for God, we are blessed, right? We are actually expanded. And there's many, many passages that we can look at uh, in the Pentateuch there, the books of Moses, the first five books of the Bible that highlight that theme. When we choose to voluntarily obey because we love him so much and we want to be pleasing to him, we are blessed we are expanded in his purposes. Yet the opposite is also a, a huge principle that we often overlook. Yet when we disobey as the people of God out of unbelief and maybe even out of a little bit of rebellion, we're going to look at that in a little bit, what happens in that situation? Okay, We bring on ourselves great difficulty. We bring on ourselves great pain. It's not God who's doing it to us. It's our choice. It's all our voluntary, our voluntary unbelief and even rebellion that brings upon us, upon ourselves, this difficulty and this pain. And so the 40 years of wilderness wanderings that we also find in the book of Numbers, it's actually revealing this core principle. Okay? If we obey out of love for God, expansion, blessing. Much obedience produces that. The converse is also true. If we disobey out of our own unbelief, then we bring on ourselves difficulty uh, and pain. And so God set apart people. We find this theme all throughout the book of Numbers. We must learn to believe in the invisible God instead of complaining and trusting in ourselves as the Israelites very foolishly did. We're, we're meant to live in surrender to God's eternal purposes, prioritizing these before any of our own ideas. Okay, And that's what the Israelites uh, of old had done. Now, as I was studying this book of Numbers in that summer of 2001, there was a particular passage, a particular account in Numbers 13 and 14 that God really used to, to speak to me. Okay, and it was really used, these two chapters, Numbers 13 and 14, to stir my heart that summer uh, related to this impression that the Lord had given in the Seoul airport related to Deuteronomy chapter 10, uh, verse 14, about helping the people to go in and possess the land that God had promised to them. All right, so I want us to look quickly at these uh, two chapters, Numbers 13 and 14. These two chapters are actually a vivid warning. They're a vivid caution from God to us because they actually reveal a tragic failure of that generation of Israelites in cooperating with the very purpose of God. Tragic failure. Okay, So in the historic timeline, these two chapters, Numbers 13 and Numbers 14, they happen actually before the Israelites experience this 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. So God had purposed Israel to obediently uh, possess the land at that time. He had wanted them to go up and to take possession of the land at that time. That's what the whole preparation process up until Numbers 13 and 14 was. You're going to go right into the land. Moses is going to go with you and you're going to conquer 
the land. Now we know that didn't happen. Moses was excluded. The whole generation except two faithful people were excluded uh, from Israel being able eventually to go up into the land. But then they uh, had to wait 40 years for that to happen. So Numbers 13 and 14 happens right at the beginning before they're actually uh, excluded. That's important to understand. God was ready to use them. They were ready to enter into uh, the land. And so as a step in that process of preparation, of going into the land now, they're all ready. They've come out of Egypt. They have the law. They have the tabernacle. They have all the ways to worship and how to approach God. They have the Sabbath day. They have all these things that the book of Leviticus laid out. Now they're poised. They're ready. Let's enter the land, God had told them. And it was a promise. He said, it's my land. I'm calling you to do what I've already uh, promised is going to happen. It's going to be fulfilled. It's assured, okay? So as a step in that process, the Lord then instructs Moses to send out 12 men to spy out the land. That's what's happening in Numbers uh, chapter 13 and 14. 12 men to spy out the land. And they went actually for 40 days to do this. And their goal was to provide intelligence of what the people of Israel were going to face so that they could be rightly prepared. Not so that they could be hindered in fear, but so that they could be rightly prepared of what they were going to face. And so we know the story. Upon returning, all 12 of them agreed that the land was very good. It had this incredible uh, blessing, and it was, it was full of all kinds of good things. All right, so they all 12 agreed on that part. But then the 10 and then there's two. So there's two groupings here. In this 12, there's 10, the majority, who are going to give a negative report. There's two, the minority, and it's usually the minority we find that are actually willing to trust God. It shouldn't be like that, but that's how it is. And these, these two, the minority, were willing to say, no, God has called us to do this. We can, uh, we can accomplish it. So the 10, the majority, they come back with a report they give it to Moses. They give it to the children of Israel. And this, rep this report is full of fear and also full of self-preservation. And we're going to look at that in a moment. Full of self-preservation. And this self-preservation and this fear is due to the challenges and the difficulties that they had also seen in the land. So that's the majority. Then the two stand up. We know them by name, Joshua and Caleb. They had also seen the good land that God had promised, but they had also seen the challenges and the difficulties. Those things were real to them. Okay, It wasn't that the majority were just seeing something uh, that was not true and that the minority saw, no, we can take the land, no problem. No, there was challenges. There was difficulties. They were quite honest uh, about those realities. Okay, But the difference between the two, Joshua and Caleb, was that more than the obstacles, Joshua and Caleb saw God. They had seen a vision of God as the victorious king, the promise keeper, the one who had uh, promised them that they would come into the promised land. And so they saw God. They didn't just see all the giants or all the challenges or all the difficulties. One of my favorite Bible expositors, his name is uh, G. Campbell Morgan, he says this about this, uh, this powerful passage. Let me read what he says. 
He says, at this very moment, and we can apply this to our circumstances in the Great Commission today. At this very moment, the whole land is before us, he says. What are we going to do? Everything depends on if we see the walled cities and the giants, like the ten did, the majority, or if we see God. Nothing less than a triumphant faith born of a clear vision of God himself will enable us, the body of Christ in our day today, to go forward. It is only faith, he says, which can cooperate toward infinite issues. Sight can do small things, but faith alone is equal to infinite things. And so when we look at the majority, the ten, and the minority, the two, the essential difference between the two of them and the report that they brought was their vision of God, the two had that, Joshua and Caleb, or the lack thereof of the true vision of God that the ten possessed. They trusted in the giants. They trusted in the difficulties. They trusted in the walled cities instead of trusting in God. So what happened? Well, we know the Israelites as a whole, as a people, they were influenced more by the ten, the majority, than by the two who walked by faith, the minority. So they had already heard God's call to go in and possess the land. And they knew, this is important, they knew that to not go up and possess the land was disobedience. That meant disobeying what God had set before them. Yet they chose that anyway. They chose to disobey the call of God to go up and possess the land. It was a huge, tragic mistake uh, by the Israelites of old. Based again on the fact that they saw the walled cities and the giants. They saw the challenges and the difficulties, which the others saw too. But they did not have a right vision of seeing God as he really is. The one who's able to overcome that because he's the one that promised this promised land uh, in the first place. So we know the result was God had to discipline the whole generation for 40 years. And the whole generation was then excluded except the two who had the, who had the faith, Joshua and Caleb. Even Moses himself. For other reasons, he was also excluded from being part of that generation to go into the promised land. So we know, as we look at this passage, Numbers 13 and 14, it is not a stretch for us today to understand and even to apply this foundation Old Testament narrative related to Israel going up and possessing the land we can see that as a parallel to God's age-old purpose and promise of seeing his redemptive purpose and plan made known among all the ethnic people groups by the global people of God. Or we can say the Old Testament narrative related to possessing the promised land can be paralleled with uh, the new covenant understanding of fulfilling the great commission. All right. So just like what the uh, children of Israel faced in Numbers 13 and 14, today the same situation is actually before the global body of Christ as what the Israelites of old faced. We too are poised to enter and possess the promised land. Or again, in New Covenant language, the same idea, that same narrative can be applied related to fulfilling the great 
commission that Jesus has promised to his people. So God the Father, Jehovah, Yahweh God, had promised the Israelites the promised land, but they failed to obediently go and possess it. Just like today, the body of Christ has been promised by Jesus to go into all the ethnic people groups and quote-unquote possess them, meaning see them reached with the gospel of Christ and with the, uh, the gospel uh, of the kingdom of God as a whole. So yes, today, as we look at this vision of fulfilling the Great Commission, there are great obstacles. Yes, of course, just like Numbers 13 and 14, there are great challenges. There are giants in the land that are hindering uh, the people from hearing and responding. And you know what? Jesus actually promised that this would be so. And yet, he also promised what? At the end of that chapter, uh, or, or the Great Commission passage, the main one, Matthew chapter 28, he promises that his abiding, powerful presence will be with us. And he's promised us in other places, I have overcome the world. Yes, challenges are real. Yes, obstacles are real. But he is with us and he has overcome it. We are walking out the enforced victory that he has brought about through his own death and resurrection uh, on the cross. We have it made. We are the victorious bride of Christ Yet we must be obedient in fulfilling the Great Commission. So behind the negative reports of these 10, the majority, was an ultimate concern that the task, the task excuse me, seemed fraught with danger, right? It seemed fraught with real harm. The Israelites of old, especially these 10 who gave the false report, and then the others who were influenced by them, they wanted to be comfortable. They wanted to be secure. They wanted to not have the danger that was before them. And when they went to spy out the land, they saw possessing the land was not going to be comfortable. Possessing the land was not going to be secure. Possessing the land was going to cost something. All right, And that same challenge uh, is before the body of Christ uh, today. And so this is a similar response that many have today when we are now confronted with Jesus's great commission, which is the final words he gave before he ascended to the right hand uh, of the Father. Yet engaging in and eventually fulfilling the great commission, it is the primary mandate. So our response today is often, oh, the great commission, too much danger. The great commission, there's too much real harm. There's giants out there. There's walled cities out there holding unreached peoples captive. Okay? It's not going to be comfortable. Okay? We hear that all the time. And yet, Jesus gave us the command anyway. He knew these things were coming. And not only that, he has given us all the resources in himself and through his victory uh, on the cross to overcome all these things. And he's given us the same thing that Jehovah, Yahweh, God gave the Israelites. He's given us assured victory. Yet they disobeyed in the face of assured victory. And we often also are guilty uh, of disobeying the great commission in the face of assured victory. Now let me transition here quickly to another passage in the book of Haggai. Little prophet uh, in the Old Testament, minor prophet, the book of Haggai. So God has a similar passage in that book that is full of warning, just like the Numbers 13 and Numbers 14 passage, full of warning and caution 
to us. So what's happening in the book of Haggai? Well, the Israelites had just returned from uh, or to the land following the 70-year captivity in Babylon. Okay, so uh, some of them, most of them had stayed back in Babylon because they'd gotten comfortable. A few uh, said, yes, no, we are the people of God and God wants us to return to the promised land after the captivity. So they were willing to obey God to a point. And now the book of Haggai is written about 15 or so years after this return of the children of Israel to the land from the 70-year captivity. About 15 years now. They've been back in the land about 15 years. Yet the temple, the temple which signified the people of God's ability to worship God, without the temple, without the tabernacle, they could not sacrifice and they could not approach God in worship and adoration. That was the role of the temple. That was the role uh, of the tabernacle. Okay, So the temple was still broken down. 15 years after coming out of Babylon, back to Jerusalem, back to the promised land, and yet the temple had not been rebuilt the way that God uh, had called them to do. All right. And so there, the temple, it had been started, but it had not been completed. Okay, and that's the important piece. They had begun well. They came out of uh, the Babylonian captivity back into the promised land, and they said, okay, we know we need a place of worship. We need the temple. So they started building. But then what happened? They were sidetracked. They were distracted by many other things that were going on, mostly related to their own personal affairs, mostly compare, uh, uh, related to building their own homes, building their own comfort, and leaving aside the plans and the purposes that God had for them to be able to worship Him rightly. And so this is actually a very similar place as the church is. We've begun well in the Great Commission, but as we've continued along, there are some who are still engaged, but the church as a whole has allowed a lot of personal things to get in the way and to sidetrack us. And so what happened in the book of Haggai? Well, God raised up the prophet Haggai to provide a series of key messages now to the Israelites. And the intended purpose of these messages in the book of Haggai is to inspire them. Hey, children of Israel living here in Jerusalem, you need to finish the task of building the temple. So what Haggai does is call them to renewed courage in the Lord. He calls them to renewed holiness of their lives. He calls them to renewed faith in God who controls the future and not to be sidetracked by self-preservation or focusing on your, uh, your own comfort, uh, making of your own houses that they had done. So the key distraction of the people, the Israelites, from fulfilling their purpose of rebuilding the temple was material concern, okay, which is very connected with self-preservation. Okay? They wanted their own homes. They wanted to make sure their homes were comfortable. And so what was happening here is they were caught up in temporal priorities over possessing an eternal mindset. Let me say that again. They were caught up in temporal priorities over having an eternal mindset. And so what does Haggai have to do? He rebukes them for prioritizing temporal things before the work and the glory of God in their midst. 
And so today, we find this same preoccupation and distraction among the people of God uh, globally, where we put an emphasis on temporal comforts, and then we consider the will and the purpose of God with our leftovers. Okay, we're going to take care of ourselves first, and then maybe if we get around to it, we'll engage in God's purpose uh, of the Great Commission. And as we see in Numbers, uh, or saw in Numbers 13 and 14, this cannot be excused. This was a major error uh, among the people of God then, and it's a major error among the people of God uh, today. Now, another point we want to highlight here is this isn't only talking about affluent countries. Sometimes we think, well, uh, the affluent Western countries are kind of focused on their own material comforts, uh, uh, but those maybe in global south places, they don't really struggle with this temptation as much. I've found in my travels all over the world, this is a, an across-the-board temptation to focus on Temporal issues or self-preservation, it has nothing to do with having money or not having money. It's a temptation of the heart that we all uh, struggle with. And so mobilization then, when we look at all these passages that we've considered this morning, mobilization then surrounds consistently guiding the people of God in our spheres of influence to possess the land. You remember that was the word, Deuteronomy chapter 10, 14. Not just for me, but for multitudes of mobilizers, leaders who would arise and help the people of God to go up and take possession of the land, which again in our New Testament language means to fulfill the great commission. Okay? So we're helping our spheres of influence possess the land by educating them, by inspiring them, by activating them in the focal point of the unfolding of history in this age, which we know is the fulfillment of the Great Commission among all the ethnic peoples. And so the way that we do this then is to counter these natural fears uh, that the, the people of Israel in Numbers 13 and 14 and even the people of Israel in the book of Haggai. There was fear. I need to take care of myself. I need to preserve myself. And uh, we counter mobilization in, in and through mobilization among the people of God. We counter these fears and these excuses that believers have with an invitation instead to remind ourselves of who God is. The big vision of who He is, that He is entirely trustworthy, He's entirely dependable, and if He has called us to this fulfillment of the Great Commission, He will be with us through and through. And again, we have, it, uh, we have victory assured uh, to us. And one of the things that this includes, countering these natural fears, is uh, encouraging those people around us in our spheres of influence to lay down temporal desires, comforts, pursuits, and instead prioritize simplicity and lowliness for the sake of the gospel. Now, this is a challenge for many of us. Again, we want to kind of take care of ourselves, and then with whatever little bit is left over, whether it's money, time, energy, uh, focus, emphasis, whatever, then we give that little bit uh, of time to God or to focus on the Great Commission. God says, no, you've got it reversed. I want you focused on living simply, living in lowliness, and letting the priority of your life being on the growing kingdom of God among all the uh, unreached peoples. And guess what? 
If you commit to this simplicity and humility, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to make sure that you have everything that you thought you were preserving uh, on your own. Now, some have called uh, possessing this idea a wartime mentality. You might have heard that phrase before, having a wartime mentality. So the idea here is that the body of Christ, we're in a war. We're in a war for uh, the people or the unreached peoples to hear the gospel, to respond to the gospel, and to come into the kingdom of God so that the kingdom of God is advanced, advanced now among all the uh, unreached peoples. We're in a war, and the enemy is serious. The enemy is not wanting to give up ground. And not only are we in a war, but we also know that this world is not our home. We're not citizens of planet Earth. We're citizens uh, of the heavenly places. Our home, our eternal home, uh, is with God. And so our priorities need to be also focused not on the temporal, on this world, taking care of ourselves, etc., but on the eternal. And thirdly, we are not our own. We don't belong to ourselves. We don't really have a right to say, I want to do this. I want to marry that person. I want to live in this city. I want to have this job or career. We've laid that down as bond servants of the living God. We belong now to another. We belong to the King, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we are meant then to live this life on this earth in such a way so that we are free to engage ourselves entirely in the divine purpose of God uh, that he set before us. Not being caught up like the Israelites in the book of Haggai, focused on self-preservation, building their own comfortable homes, focusing on the temporal instead of the eternal. And the same can be said uh, about the Israelites in the book of Numbers chapters 13 uh, and 14. And so the Lord has called us then to surrender all, all of this living in simplicity for the sake of Jesus' glory being known and experienced among all uh, the ethnic people groups. So as we bring this episode to a close, I want to just challenge us and, and uh, just invite the Lord even that the Lord would enable us as mobilizers, as pastors, as leaders of denominations, of ministries, etc., to be like Joshua, Caleb, and Haggai, who all saw first the greatness of God, and believed that if God has called us to these promises, if God, if God has called us to a particular work in the Great Commission, He will also go before us and He will make a way where there seems to be no way. But in order to do that, God will not force it upon us. God's calling us to lay down an emphasis on the temporal that we see all over the body of Christ. It is an error that many have fallen into, uh, even in the kingdom of God. Uh, leaders, churches, denominations, we're often focused on temporal things. And so the Lord is asking us to exchange an emphasis on the temporal for, a, uh, for taking up a life devoted to the eternal things of God. Setting our lives apart for His glory, living for His glory here on the earth. Uh, among all the unreached peoples. And so, as I close, I encourage us that we would call our churches, our ministries, our families, our communities to this wholehearted devotion to Christ and to His purpose as well. Taking up 
the eternal instead of the temporal, buying into a simple, humble life so that we have money to give to the growing kingdom, so that we have energy to give to the growing kingdom of God among all the ethnic people groups, so it would not be said of us like what was said uh, about the children of Israel uh, in Haggai's day, that they were concerned with temporal concerns that they were concerned with self-preservation and their own comfort instead of the priorities and the purposes of God. I want to invite us to count the cost and call our people into this wartime mentality to see the fulfillment of the Great Commission uh, in our day. Let me close us in prayer. Lord, we thank you that you have called us as a global body, this isn't about a certain church. This isn't about a certain organization. This isn't about a certain denomination. We are the combined, united, global body of Christ. And you've called us to go up and to possess the land that you've set before us. And that land is all the ethnic people groups that are still outside of a relevant hearing of the gospel. Lord, we want to be faithful. We want to be obedient. We confess and repent where we've been disobedient, where we have allowed a temporal mindset to take over uh, the eternal mindset that you've created us to walk in, oh God, where we've allowed self-preservation, Lord, instead of simplicity and humility, uh, Lord, to mark us. God, we say forgive us for those things and uh, give us the grace Give us your power. Give us your equipping, Lord, to not only walk that way ourselves, but then to call a generation. Lord, that's what that Deuteronomy chapter 10 verse 14 call was all about. Not only ourselves to walk in this, but us to mobilize a generation all together as the body of Christ. Lord, who would take up this calling to fulfill the Great Commission and to live with a warlike uh, a wartime, excuse me, a wartime mentality. Lord, help us with that. Holy Spirit, we look to you. We need you to walk these things out. We thank you and bless you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. The Lord bless you today. To listen to more Mission Mobilization Chats, subscribe on YouTube or go to globalmmi.net.